0: We're going to continue our series on the book of Daniel today. Uh, This is our third uh, sermon in that series. And we've, of course, looked at chapters 1 and 2, and then today we're going to look at chapter 3. And today I'm going to, my sermon will be a, a little different. The series overall is called Standing for Truth. Today I'm going to to preach on this idea that all worship belongs to our God. All worship belongs to our God. And I'm going to read just three verses uh, for you, and then we will cover the entirety of the chapter. And I'm going to do it a little bit different than my normal sermon structure. Normally, I I give some uh, unique points to the sermon, and I don't usually outline the chapter or the text as it were but today I'm going to outline the text for you uh, as part of my sermon structure and you'll be able to follow along uh, in the app or online if you uh, click the link for the notes. I'm going to read Daniel chapter 3 verses 16 through 18 in the New American Standard. It says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, just a little bit today on all worship belongs to our God God who has created all things who created the universe that you and I inhabit and he has created us as part of that universe as part of his plan for uh, his his kingdom he has created us and he desires that you and I would worship him it has been his desire from the beginning that you and I, as His creation, would worship Him. And of course, you know that that Adam and Eve fell in the garden, and from that time until this, it has been uh, God's plan to redeem us and bring us back into a place of worship for Him. But Satan, after he was created, he desired, the Bible says, to be like the Most High, and he desires to be worshipped as well. He wants people to worship him, he wants God's creation and God's creative order to worship him And the reality is is that if he isn't worshiped then what he wants to do is to steal worship from God In our culture worship of the one true God at least Christian worship is often looked down on But if you have some other God or some other religion outside of Christianity Then then that's perfectly fine. No big deal. But but in our culture it's, you begin to see this change as we move from a Christian culture to now a post-Christian nation that the worship of the true God is, is beginning to wane and it is beginning to be looked down upon by the culture at large. And so worship is, is not often talked about in our culture unless it's something like hero worship, which is the excessive admiration for someone. In ancient Greece, in fact, it was the worship of superhuman heroes that people would worship uh, people that they thought were better than they They were like demigods. They were above a regular human but not quite up to the part of being a deity. And so people would worship them. And you see this in, in our culture today when it comes to sports. We have a lot of hero worship that goes on in our nation. We are a nation that is all about entertainment and so whether it's Hollywood or whether it's sports we worship in our culture people oftentimes we do that much greater than we do with God and we do that in a, a magnitude that of course I would tell you is, is wrong because we are replacing God with the worship of someone or something else. In our text today Satan has once again attempted to steal worship from God and, This time he uses King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah that Nebuchadnezzar was called my servant by God. And and God prophesied to Jeremiah and told him that because of the sin of Judah, because of the sin of all of the other nations, that he was going to allow Nebuchadnezzar to rule and to reign, and his sons and his sons' sons to reign for a period of time and to rule over the world it wasn't because nebuchadnezzar was a good king it wasn't because nebuchadnezzar was a righteous king but it was because god had a plan and purpose and god's plan and purpose is always to bring about redemption and a lot of the ways in which he does that is he shows people the error of their ways and then because of that it causes them to repent and they come to a relationship with him and so god has used Nebuchadnezzar to punish Judah for their sin and from, for turning away from God. In chapter 2, God once again used Nebuchadnezzar to prophetically lay out the next 2,000 years plus of human history as he lined out and, and explained what was going to happen in human government. And he also lined out that there would come a time when the Messiah, that uncut rock, that rock that was uncut by human hands would crush the statue that we looked at in chapter 2 now nebuchadnezzar decides that he wants to be worshiped he who god has placed in leadership decides that he wants to be worshiped and and many times when we take old testament stories or even new testament stories preachers will spiritualize them and and make a an analogy and and create or allegorize the passage in in a way uh, that is it's not wrong, but I'm not going to do that today. A lot of times we talk about David and Goliath, and then we make giants not a physical human that you might face because nobody's really going to face a physical human giant. Uh, at least I've never seen that. I've never heard of anyone in our present time. And so we, we make an analogy and that giants become obstacles or circumstances that we have to deal with. Same thing in the Bible with storms that that people will frequently take storms and use that as the difficulties and troubles of life. We, of course, just recently had Hurricane Ida, and so we can take those biblical passages about storms and we can make those prayers and God deliver us from the storm, a real storm that's coming, but it can also be a a storm of difficulty or trouble or trial. But today I I don't want to take that worship and just use it in a, don't worship anything and, and I may address that a little bit but I, I want to focus on the text and I want to apply it to our lives as well as what is coming in the future so I, I'm going to look at this a little different and as I mentioned my outline is a little different today than it normally would be as, as I walk through the text together but ultimately is this you need to know that all worship belongs to our God, and He alone is worthy of worship. In the first seven verses of Daniel chapter 3, we see the creation, the dedication, the proclamation of this image that Nebuchadnezzar decides to set up. He says it this way, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. It goes on to tell us that these men came and they then were prepared to worship. They stood before the image that nebuchadnezzar had set up and then he says that when the music plays that you want you are to bow down and to worship the image that there's going to be all kinds of music in fact the bible uses that it names specific musical instruments when you hear these instruments and all kinds of music bow down so let me explain a little bit about this section of the scripture this statue the bible says is 60 cubits tall It is six cubits wide, and and a cubit is most commonly looked at as being 18 inches. uh, Originally, it was the length from your elbow to the tip of your finger. And so in that culture, in that time, for the majority of people, at least the men, it was about 18 inches. It could vary a little bit, a little shorter, a little longer, but approximately 18 inches. That would make this statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide that Nebuchadnezzar sets up this great statue of himself as he, and he, as he wants to be worshipped. And he, and he calls all of the government officials to understand that Babylon is ruling the known world, that, that all of the surrounding nations have been taken over by Babylon. And so he calls in the rulers and the officials of all the nations that they have conquered the governors, the magistrates, the judges, all of these, they come and they stand before the image, and and Nebuchadnezzar tells them that you're going to bow down and worship the image, and ultimately what he's saying is you're going to worship me. That Nebuchadnezzar has fallen prey to, to what many people do, and they have exalted themselves that God has allowed him to be in charge, and now he wants to worship, not unlike what Satan did when Satan was in heaven he decided that he wanted to be worshiped so nebuchadnezzar says the penalty for not falling down and worshiping me is that you're going to be cast into a furnace of blazing fire he's going to you're going to be thrown into this fire you're going to be burned alive now i would tell you that the devil knows his end granted the book of Revelation which tells us most about the lake of fire and brimstone where Satan is going to be cast in. To that, that he, he doesn't uh, present that for another 600 plus years. That God doesn't give that prophecy. But the devil knows his end and he knows that his end is destruction and that God is going to destroy them. And going to destroy he and his demons. God who knows the end from the beginning. He doesn't make things up on the fly And I just happen to think that maybe even though God has not told us and explained to us all of the end time at this particular point, that Satan knows what's going to happen and Satan uses what God is going to do and he twists it around. That in in the end, whenever people worship Satan, they're going to be cast into the fire and here Satan says, if you don't worship me or if you don't worship my man, if you don't Take that worship that belongs to God and put it on something else and I will have you cast into the fire. Satan is always typically using the opposite of what God is going to do. The Bible tells us that the people fell down when the music played and they worshiped the image. Music is powerful. In fact, we often equate music at church with worship. And a lot of times, if you're not careful, when we come to the house of God and we come to worship Him, that our worship is just the singing of songs or the playing of the music, the playing of the songs. It's just that part. But understand this, that that singing and playing, it is worship, but worship is much more than our singing and playing. Psalm 150 says this, praise the Lord Praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty expanse, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with the trumpet sound, praise him with harp and lyre, praise him with timbrel and dancing, praise him with stringed instruments and pipe, praise him with loud cymbals, praise him with resounding cymbals, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. You see a lot of music in there. That God has declared in the psalmist's writing that we are to praise God in music, but it is more than music. That praising God is beyond just the normal sound of a musical instrument or lifting our voice in song. But it is a lot of that. In fact, the song that I open with uh, says, I will bring you more than a song then my worship is not going to be limited to just music. My worship is not going to be limited to just my singing. My my worship is not just going to be limited to somebody playing an instrument. If you don't play an instrument, you go, well, I, I can't worship God. Or if I can't sing well, then I can't worship God. But worship is more than that. Worship is beyond that. It is the giving of adoration and praise to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I would tell you, though, that Satan takes what God has created, that that singing and that music that is created to worship him. In fact, Lucifer was created to bring worship to God through musical sound. The Bible describes what Satan and what Lucifer was like, and he was, as some would say, the choir director of heaven, that God created music, and now here Satan takes music and uses it for an evil purpose and I, I, you probably know this already, but music is powerful. Music evokes memories and brings back memories of childhood or teenage years. And, and now, as I'm almost fifty years old, I go into restaurants and, and or stores and I hear music from my teen years. And I realize why, when I was a kid, they were playing oldies in the the '40s and '50s. Music is because. That was the music that that generation grew up on. And music is powerful, and it brings about the good feelings of your youth. And Satan uses music to distract us at times away from worshiping God and to worshiping other things. But the second part of this this passage here, verses 8 through 18, and I'm going to not read all of this, but the Bible says that the Chaldeans came and brought charges against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now understand that the Chaldeans are the people that are from Babylon. I I told you earlier that, that Nebuchadnezzar has all of the people from all of the other provinces and nations that he has taken over and he has conquered. He's had those leaders come in and to worship and bow down before the image. And the Chaldeans are an ethnic group from the southern part of Babylon, and they now come to Nebuchadnezzar and say, hey, these Jews that you have brought here, they're not worshiping you. And in fact, they don't just say it that way, but they said, this is what you said, King. Oh, King, you said that when the music plays, they have to bow down. They have to worship you. And these three guys that you have exalted in chapter one, we see this, that, that Nebuchadnezzar puts them in a high position. And the Bible says they have 10 times more knowledge than all of the other people of the royal court they have this jealousy over them and they said these three guys that you've exalted they are not bowing down to worship you nebuchadnezzar nebuchadnezzar of course who has in his mind he he's given them everything he's given them exalted positions he's put them in positions of power he is enraged that they are not bowing down to worship him that they're not coming and when the music plays they're not bowing down before the image so he calls them in to his core and he says i'm gonna give you another chance i hear that you're not worshiping this image that i have set up he said i'm going to give you another opportunity and their response is we don't even need to give you an answer in fact it was the text that i read verses 16, 17, and 18, that we don't even need to answer this. Our God can deliver us. And if He doesn't, we still are not going to serve your gods or bow down to your image. That our answer is, no, we're not going to bow down and we're not even going to have to even go beyond that, that God either will deliver us or He won't. But regardless, we are not going to bow down and worship the image. Now, you and I, we're, we're living in a, a day where nobody, at least in here in, in the North American context, or they're not asking us to worship some image, some false god. They're not asking us to worship the image of a man. But there are people, I would tell you, around our world that today are having to make the choice on, do they bow down and worship what the government has said, or do they, do they stand for truth? or do they resist what the government is saying and, and follow after God in our in our world right now there are more people that are martyred every day for the gospel of Jesus Christ than at any time in human history nations like China you can't you can't stand for truth you have to if you want to serve the one true God you've got to do it underground oh sure there is a there is a a state church in china but they don't they don't allow you to follow the bible they've created their own bible in fact they don't even allow muslims to follow the quran they've created their own version of the quran they're trying to control it and say this is how you can worship or this is what you can believe and they are exalting the state above god there is coming a time the bible tells us where you and I may have to endure that even here. And maybe it's, it's not us. Maybe the rapture takes place and you and I are not here, but the New Testament and the book of Revelation tells us is that there is going to be a time where people are going to have to choose to worship the true God or the Antichrist. In fact, the book of Revelation tells us in five different places that people are going to be required to bow down and worship the image of the beast, or they will be killed. Revelation thirteen fifteen, And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Revelation fourteen eleven and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever they have no rest day and night those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name Revelation sixteen two so the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image Revelation. 9, 19, 20, and the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. Then Revelation 20, verse four, then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast nor his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Depending on your view of the end times events, you may not be here. And hopefully you and I will not be here to endure persecution and we will never have the opportunity to have to stand up and resist worshiping the beast but someone will be here to worship the image of the beast and some will be here who choose not to and the bible says that these are those that did not bow down and worship the beast and did not receive the mark in their forehead and on their hand they came to life and reigned with christ for a thousand years Somewhere in the future, there's coming a time when people are going to have an opportunity, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to stand before an image of a beast and go, I I refuse to bow down, that I'm not going to bow down to this image or any other image, but I am going to worship Jesus Christ alone because he alone is worthy of all worship. And wherever you are right now watching this, would you just thank God that you know Jesus Christ and that you can worship Him today? Would you do that? Jesus, we magnify Your name. We thank You for who You are. Thank You that we have come into relationship with You, that we worship You and You alone. This next part of chapter 3, verses 19 through 30, it is the punishment, the deliverance, and the prosperity of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Bible tells us that Nebuchadnezzar filled with wrath because they refused to worship his image. He takes them, the Bible says his facial expression is altered towards them. That he has looked in the past, he has looked kindly upon them. In the past, he has looked at them as as being special and and now his facial expression is changed. The Bible says it's altered toward them. And I think that's significant that he goes from being, all right, I'm going to give you one more opportunity even though I'm angry. And now he doesn't care anything about them and now he's just all about punishing them. He's, the Bible says that he has the furnace heated up seven times hotter than normal and he has them tied up. And the Bible makes a a point of, of saying that they have all of their normal garments on much like this you say well and they had they had their suit coats on and they had their shoes and they had their belts and he explains the different types of clothing that they're wearing and he he has them bound wearing their normal clothes in fact maybe it's because it's their clothes that they would wear in their royal uh And to the royal court, it's the clothes that they would wear when they're performing service of the king. But the fire is so hot that as the soldiers go to throw them into the fire, the Bible says that the heat of the furnace killed the soldiers. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're thrown into the fire. The soldiers that throw them in perish before they can even get them all the way in there. And Nebuchadnezzar sees something that shocks him, and he asks those around him, he says, did we not throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, Nebuchadnezzar, that's what we did. We just saw it. He says, why do I see four men who are loosed? We threw in three who are bound, and now there are four who are loosed. Understand that their ropes are burned off of them, but they're not harmed. The Bible says that no hair on their head, their bodies are not harmed, their clothes are not harmed. Just the ropes, that which has bound them is consumed by the fire. That same fire has killed these soldiers. And Nebuchadnezzar says this fourth one is like a son of the gods. He, he realizes that something special is going on here. Three men were cast in and now I see a fourth in there with them and they're walking around, they're not harmed. I see the death that happened to my soldiers. But something is different about him. It is, one is like a son of the gods. It is an angel, of course. So Nebuchadnezzar calls them out of the fire. And he uses a phrase and he says, you servants of the Most High God. It is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had declared. We are going to serve our God. We will not bow down and serve your God. But our God whom we serve is able to deliver us out of your hand." They had declared that they were servants of Yahweh. They had declared that they were servants of the God of Israel. No effect on their bodies, their hair, their clothes, not even the smell of smoke. And when I read that the other day, I I thought about another passage of the New Testament that Paul, talking about trying to see people saved, trying to see people born again. He says, some pulling out of the fire with even the smell of smoke on their clothes. That they're so close to the the fires of hell, they're so close to, to ending up and spending eternity In hell, he said, even the smell of smoke on their clothes as we pull them out of the fire and get them in a relationship with Jesus. But here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they've been walking around in the fire that was meant to destroy them with not even the smell of smoke on their fire, on their clothes. And Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that the God they serve has delivered them. And he decrees that no one could speak evil or speak against their God that the God who can deliver these three men out of the fire, their God, we're not going to talk about him. He doesn't, he doesn't put their God on maybe even playing with everything. The Bible doesn't say that Nebuchadnezzar says everybody now has to worship their God. He just says you can't talk bad about the God of the Jews. You can't talk bad about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I would tell you that when we stand for truth and when we give worship only to God, other people will see that and recognize that the God that you and I serve is worthy of praise and is worthy of worship and has all power. Nebuchadnezzar, the Bible tells us, calls them to prosper. And in chapter 1, he had given them favor and he had given them blessings and gave, given them an exalted position. And now, because they stood for truth, He causes them to prosper. I can't tell you that every time you stand for truth that you're going to prosper in this life. I can't tell you that every time you worship God and God alone that you're going to prosper in this life. Many times that will be the case, that God will reward your faithfulness and God will reward your worship. But there is coming a day where you and I are going to live forever with Jesus Christ. Where there's no sickness, no pain, no sorrow, no death. There's no crying, there's no sadness. It is all going to be wonderful over there where we live in a heavenly city. The Bible says streets of gold, gates of pearl, walls of jasper. And if we stand for him now and if we worship God alone now in that day, God will reward us and we will prosper as we live with him forever as we rule and reign as kings and priests with him as i wrap this up today the first 7 verses tells us the creation the dedication the proclamation of the image 8 through 18 the accusation and the confrontation for not worshiping the image and then the last 11 or 12 verses the punishment the deliverance and the prosperity for worshiping God alone so the question for you today is are you going to worship God alone? There are many things we could worship today. I talked about the hero worship that we see in in our culture where people are exalted and put on a pedestal and they, they are looked up to and they can do no wrong. But ultimately, at some point, we will have to choose whether we worship God alone. Romans 14, 10 through 12 says this, But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. There's coming a day when we will stand before Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Bible says, to the glory of God the Father. And I would tell you that when we get to that day, we will bow. the king of kings and the lord of lords we will give him worship but i would tell you that this day is a day that you and i should give him worship that we should bow down this day and worship the one true and living god if you haven't done so already make this the day that you bow down and worship that you bend your knee to the god of heaven and you make him your king And you commit to worshiping Him and hear Him alone. What I want you to do today is this. Prayerfully examine your heart for any false idols or anything that you may be worshiping that is not the God of glory. I want you to resist... Worshiping anything or anyone other than the one true and living God. And trust God for deliverance in this life and the life to come. And lastly, I would say it this way. Determine to value eternal life over this present life. That whatever you face in this life or whatever you come in contact with in this life is nothing compared to what we're going to experience with Jesus Christ forever. So put Him first in everything. Put Him first in all things. Value spending eternity with Him over anything that may be pleasant in this present life or anything that would cause you difficulty here, do not give in to that, but value eternal life with Him over all of that. Wherever you are, would you bow your head right now? Jesus, we love you today. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and blessing. Thank you for your favor. Father, I pray today that you would help your people to draw close to you. Help your people to worship you and you alone. God, I pray that you would help your people to put you first in their lives. We thank you for it, Lord, to help us to give our hearts completely to you. We give you worship and praise.